Volume Three, Chapter Three of *The Widow Barnaby* by Francis Milton Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three: A bold measure, a tour de force on the part of Mrs. Barnaby and of savoir-faire on that of Lord Mucklebury. Sightseeing, the widow resolves upon another journey. Mr. Morrison, who really had a little business, though not very much, had named two o'clock as the earliest hour at which he should be able to come to Half Moon Street for the purpose of escorting the ladies in a hackney coach to the city, and it was during the hours that intervened between her breakfast and this time that the active-minded Mrs. Barnaby determined upon making a private visit to Myvart's Hotel in the hope of seeing Lord Mucklebury she had quite made up her mind to the worst as may be seen from the projects already maturing themselves in her brain as the consequence nevertheless she thought it was just possible that his lordship might be unable to resist the expression of sorrow in eyes he had so vehemently admired and at any rate there was something so so touching in the idea of this final interview that she could not refuse herself the satisfaction of making the experiment telling agnes that she had a little shopping to do before their sight-seeing began and that she would not take her for fear she should be as stupidly fatigued as on the night before she mounted to her bedroom adorned herself in the most becoming costume she could devise and with somewhat less rouge than usual that the trader might see how sorrow worked set forth on her expedition having reached piccadilly she called a coach and in a few minutes was safely deposited before myvart's door is lord mucklebury here she inquired in a voice of authority of the first official she encountered yes ma'am was the answer his lordship is at breakfast i must see him if you please directly it is by appointment ma'am questioned the discreet waiter looking at her keenly his lordship is just going to set off and is too busy i believe to see anybody he is not too busy to see me i must see him directly is it an appointment repeated the man in an accent not the most respectful yes it is replied the unblushing widow better call his own man joe said another napkin functionary attracted by the appearance of the lady you had better take this sovereign said mrs barnaby in a whisper apparently the man thought this advice the best for taking the coin with such practised dexterity as hardly to make the action perceptible he gave the lady a look with his knowing eye that said follow me and slid away among the passages and stairs till he had marshalled her to the door of lord mucklebury's apartments being probably somewhat doubtful whether the office he had performed would be as gratefully requited by the gentleman as by the lady he waited not to open the door but saying there's his room disappeared leaving mrs barnaby to announce her ill-used self she was a little frightened but still resolute and after pausing for one moment to recover her breath threw open the door and entered the waiter's account was strictly true for his lordship was at breakfast and his lordship was packing en robe de chambre with a cup of coffee in one hand and a bunch of keys in the other he was standing beside his valet who knelt before a carriage seat he was endeavouring to close lord mucklebury was facing the door and raised his eyes as it opened the sight that greeted them was assuredly unexpected but the nerve with which he bore it did honour to his practised philosophy mrs barnaby he exclaimed with a smile in which his valet seemed to take a share for the fellow turned his head away to conceal its effect upon him mrs barnaby how very kind this is but i grieve such obliging benevolence should be shown at a moment when i have so little leisure to express my gratitude my dear lady i am this instant starting for the continent i know it sir i know it but too well 
replied the widow considerably embarrassed by his easy tone permit me however to speak to you for one moment before you set out assuredly place yourself on this sofa mrs barnaby how deeply i regret that moment so delightful confound you rawlins you'll break those hinges to pieces if you force them so my dear lady i am shocked to death but upon my soul i have not a moment to spare i wish to speak to you my lord without the presence of your servant my dearest mrs barnaby you need not mind rawlins any more than the coffee-pot you have no idea what a capital fellow he is true as steel silent as the grave that's it rawlins i'll set my foot upon it while you turn the key here it is this crooked one lord muckleberry you must be aware began the widow aware good heaven yes to be sure i am but what can i do my dearest mrs barnaby i must catch the packet you see how is dear good miss morrison now for the dressing-case rawlins don't forget the soap i've done with it for goodness sake don't tell my excellent friend miss morrison how very untidy you have found everything about me she is so very neat you know i'm sure she'd mind the stoppers rawlins put a bit of cotton upon each of them it is thus lord muckleberry that you receive one who i know what you would say my charming friend interrupted his lordship handing her a plate of buttered toast that i am the greatest bear in existence no you will not eat with me but you must excuse me dear friend for i have a long drive before me and so saying lord muckleberry seated himself at the table replenished his coffee-cup broke the shell of an egg and seriously set about eating an excellent breakfast the widow was at a loss what to do or say next had he been rude or angry or even silent and sullen or in any other mood in the world but one of such very easy good humour she could have managed better but a painful sort of conviction began to creep over her that lord muckleberry's present conduct as well as all that had passed before was merely the result of high breeding and fashionable manners and that lords and ladies always did so to one another if this were so rather than betray such rustic ignorance as to appear surprised at it she would have consented to live without a lover for weeks and weeks to come and the terrible idea followed that by having ignorantly hoped for too much she might have lost a most delightful opportunity of forming an intimate friendship with the peer of the realm that might have been creditable and useful to her either abroad or at home fortunately lord muckleberry was really hungry and he ate so heartily for a minute or two that the puzzled lady had time to settle her purpose and take the new tone that her ambition suggested to her which she did with a readiness that his lordship really admired well i see how it is my lord said she i come here to ask you to do a commission for me at rome where the papers told me you were going but you are too busy and too hungry to spare a moment to an old acquaintance no upon my soul said lord mucklebury throwing some of his former homage into his eyes as he bowed to her there is no commission in the world you could give me from new york to jerusalem that i would not execute with the fidelity of a western or an eastern slave what are your commands bewitching mrs barnaby merely my lord that you would buy a set of shells for me as nearly like lady stephenson's as possible and i dare say she added very cleverly drawing out her purse to avoid any misconception respecting the object i dare say your lordship who has travelled so much may be able to tell me pretty nearly what the price will be about ten pounds i think and ten golden sovereigns were immediately thrown from the purse upon the table 
lord mucklebury perfectly delighted by this brilliant proof of the versatility of her powers gaily took her purse from her hand and replacing the money in it said it is not so that i execute the commissions of my fair friends mrs barnaby i will note your orders in my pocket-book thus a set of the handsomest shells in rome for the charming mrs barnaby see i can hardly overlook it and when i have the pleasure of presenting them we will settle about the price he replaced her purse in her hand which he kissed with his best air of cheltenham gallantry upon which she wisely rose in saying with every appearance of being perfectly satisfied with her reception adieu my lord forgive my intrusion and let me hope to have the pleasure of seeing you when you return she took her departure perfectly convinced that her new-born conjecture was right and that lords had privileges not accorded to other men this persuasion however as well as the interview which gave rise to it she determined to keep to her own breast not sorry perhaps that some of her friends might go to their graves with the persuasion that though deserted by him she once had a nobleman for her lover and vastly well satisfied with herself for having found out her plebeian blunder in time to prevent the loss of so very valuable a friend as she still thought lord mucklebury might be she returned in good time to rest and refresh herself with a draught of her favourite beverage porter before mr morrison arrived if she had thought this gentleman worthy of some little agacerie before her definite interview with her noble friend she certainly did not think him less so afterwards and the morning and the evening passed away with great appearance of enjoyment to both the gentleman and lady mrs barnaby began to think as upon former occasions of the same kind that it would be vastly more agreeable if agnes were not of the party the same idea had occurred to the suffering girl herself more than once in the course of the day whether her own wish was farther to the thought or that her aunt had purposely permitted her feelings to be seen it matters not to inquire but when on the following morning agnes complained of a headache and expressed a timid wish to be left at home mrs barnaby without hesitation replied i think you are right agnes you have no strength for that sort of thing so it is very lucky you brought your books and you may unpack them if you will and set to work this release was hailed with thankfulness lady stephenson and miss peters were both written to during the leisure it afforded and though she could give no very satisfactory intelligence to either there was a pleasure in writing to them that no other occupation could give her after this time several days elapsed during which mrs barnaby was scarcely at home at all except for the purpose of eating her dinner which meal mr morrison regularly partook with them more than a week passed in this manner mrs barnaby becoming every day more convinced that although every sensible woman ought to marry a lord if she can get one yet nevertheless that an active intelligent obliging friend full of admiration and obedient to command was an excellent substitute for everything else during an interregnum between the more violent attachments by which the career of all distinguished women must necessarily be marked and mr morrison as he on his side remarked how freely the lady hired her flies and her hackney chariots how little she thought of the price of tickets for plays operas and that realization of all her dreams of elegant festivity vauxhall how liberally wine and even brandy flowed at the savoury little dinners in her drawing-room as he remarked on all this he could not but reason with himself on the greatly superior felicity of being the husband of such a lady and living without any trouble at all upon her fortune to the remaining a bachelor in red lion square under the necessity of working whenever work would be had in order to pay his rent settle his tailor's bill and find wherewithal to furnish commons for himself and his one domestic 
it is certain however that up to this time no serious idea of marrying mr magnus morrison had entered the widow's head on the contrary she was fully determined that as soon as she had seen london well she would see paris too and was not without a vague notion that there might be something very elegant and desirable in becoming the wife of a french grandee but these ruminations interfered not at all with the amiable amenity of her demeanour to her assiduous attendant agnes was as little in their way as it was possible she could be the weather was remarkably fine and on the whole it may be doubted if any lady of thirty-seven ever made her first debut in the metropolis of the united kingdoms with more perfect satisfaction to herself mrs barnaby reached london on a thursday evening the first sunday showed her the foundling all the little children and a popular preacher which together constituted one of mr morrison's favourite lions the sunday following being the last according to her own secret determination that she would pass in england she was left during the early part of the day to her own devices mr morrison having a deed to draw which could no longer be safely postponed and she therefore obligingly asked agnes if she should not like to go to church with her agnes willingly assented and they went to the morning service at st james in returning thence our gaily dressed widow full of animation and the hope of finding mr morrison ready to take luncheon with her previous to their projected walk in kensington gardens remarked as she gracefully paced along the crowded pavement that one individual among the many who eyed her appeared to follow her movements with particular attention mrs barnaby was never stared at without feeling delighted by the compliment she thought it implied and simpered and frolicked with her parasol in her best manner till at length having no one else to whom she could point out the flattering circumstance she said to agnes as they turned down half moon street into which the admiring individual turned too do look at that man agnes he has never ceased to follow and stare at me since we left the church there now he is going to pass us again is he not an impudent fellow perhaps he knows you aunt said agnes raising her eyes as the man passed them i think i have seen him at cheltenham this suggestion heightened mrs barnaby's colour so considerably that it was perceptible through all her rouge you have seen him at cheltenham where pray i do not well remember in a shop i think mrs barnaby asked no more questions but knocked rather hastily at the door of her lodgings but though the person had crossed the street and in doing so passed close to her he made no attempt to speak to her but passed on his way not however before he had so refreshed her memory respecting her cheltenham debts as to make her suddenly decide upon leaving london on the morrow she found mr magnus morrison waiting for her as well looking and as devoted as ever so she did all but quite forget her recent alarm its only effect being when agnes as usual declined her invitation to go out with them to say in a whisper to her in the window recess farthest removed from her waiting gentleman i think i shall leave london to-morrow night so you may employ yourself in getting everything ready for packing agnes she then turned gaily to her escort and they set off together during the whole of this tedious week agnes had used every means within her very limited power to ascertain what her aunt's plans were for the future and this not only to satisfy her own natural curiosity on the subject but also that she might have sufficient information to justify her writing another letter to lady stephenson but all her inquiries had been so vaguely answered that she was quite as ignorant of what her next movement might be as when she arrived and was living in a very torturing sort of suspense between hope that fate by some means or other would oblige her to return to cheltenham and fear lest the mystery that veiled the future might only be elucidated when too late for her to obey the command which in case of the worst was to send her there 
so weary was she both of her present position and of the doubt which concealed the termination of it that she joyfully set herself to obey the parting injunction of her aunt and having rapidly gone through this task began her second letter to her cheltenham friends stating exactly all she knew and all she did not know and at length leaving her letter unfinished that her postscript as she said might contain according to the imputed custom of all ladies the essential part of her letter the fine bonnets and smart waistcoats of kensington gardens together with a bagful of queen cakes with which she had provided herself for her own refreshment and that of her companion during a promised hour of repose in one of the alcoves so pleasantly beguiled the hours that it was near seven when they returned to dinner when the widow confessed herself too tired for anything more that day and at an hour much earlier than usual mr morrison took his departure well informed as it seemed of the lady's intentions for the morrow for agnes heard him say well then mrs barnaby one more delightful excursion to-morrow the surrey gardens will delight you and at two o'clock i will be here sorry am i to think for the last time at least for the present a cordial handshaking followed and the door closed after him i have done what you bid me aunt said agnes all your things are got ready for you to place them as you like and one of the boxes half filled just as you did before shall i write the directions aunt we can do that to-morrow i am tired to death ring the bell no run down yourself for the girl looks as cross as two sticks run down agnes and tell her to get my porter directly and i think you must bring it to me in bed for i can't keep my eyes open will you tell me aunt where we are going said agnes timidly as she took up one of the candles to light her steps down two flights of stairs don't plague me now agnes was the reply i have told you that i am tired to death and nobody but you would think of teasing one with such a question now you know well enough though you have not had the grace to thank me for it that i never take you anywhere that is not most delightful to go to what other country girl in the world is there at your age that has the advantages you have exeter clifton cheltenham london and if you don't provoke me too much and make me turn you out of house and home i'll take you now but it's no matter where you'll know soon enough to be grateful if there's such a thing as gratitude in your heart but i am a fool to expect it and see you standing there when i've begged as if my life depended upon it that you would please to order me a little beer agnes said no more but went to bed that night with her fears most reasonably strengthened that she should not learn mrs barnaby's destination till it was too late to avoid sharing it let it be in what direction it might End of chapter three